Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. With the final car unveiled last night with Alpine, Formula One's launch season 2023 is officially over. Next up, Bahrain testing next weekend. Joining me to analyse all 10 cars is Luke Smith. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Martin. Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, it was a bit of a late night with Alpine, I won't lie to you. Uh, it was quite quite fun for them to uh, hold it at Printworks. They used to live in East London as well, so it's quite nice to sort of, uh, yeah, be, be back in that, that part of the world, sort of... Um, yeah, it, it was cool. A really, really good event. Sin and Dean Zidane turned up. Like, that. that's pretty damn cool. And it was just really nice for them to, yeah, put on a good show and complete launch season, as you say. Now we know what all 10 cars, at least the liveries they're going to be running. Maybe not exactly what every single car is quite going to look like. But we're getting ready for Bahrain now. It's, uh, yeah, what, next week? I fly, fly there on Tuesday. So it's, yeah. Very, very soon. I can't wait. Now, before we get going, last day for you at Autosport. You're setting up a new venture, but it's not fully baked. It's still in the oven. Uh, So you can't exactly say what that thing is that you're going to do. But I think it's fair to say we won't be strangers because you've just revealed you will be going to Bahrain. Uh, You joined Autosport around the time Jess McFadden joined as well. It was yeah. all around that kind of COVID and lockdown times. Can you remind me of the timeline? Yeah, it was it was February 2020, so literally just before the pandemic really struck big time in in the March and yeah, I'd I'd grown up reading autosport and aspiring one day to to work for the magazine, work for the company. And uh, yeah, towards the end of 2019, we started having some conversations, things moved along. And yeah, February 2020, I had... uh Got, got the job and uh, started. I remember going into the office and meeting all the people. And uh, I remember through pre-season testing, we were getting sort of in the rhythm of me doing stories and stuff like that. And uh, one of our colleagues said, oh, I think we're maybe overblowing this uh, COVID thing a little bit. Sort of reporting about drivers getting stuck in training camps and stuff like that. And then, uh, yeah, my first race which wasn't a race that I did for Auto Sport was the 2020 Australian Grand Prix. We were there for, um, yeah, I was there, grand total of, I think, 
46 hours or something because I, I went back to New Zealand afterwards and then got one of the final flights home so uh, yeah it was it was a funny old period that but it was um, yeah that that was that was three years ago now just over so it's yeah been a absolutely remarkable three years I must say and I'm I'm just so enormously grateful to everyone at Autosport for everything they've done to everyone who's read worked tweeted whatever like I'm just so so grateful and it's been biggest privilege of my career to work with all of you guys and to represent such an iconic brand there is nothing like it in motorsport media and to have been part of that has been just an absolute honor so i'm just so so grateful to everybody what was the beat that we had you on then because obviously we've got loads of people on the f1 team and everyone does a slightly different job what what have you been focused on for the last three years so my primary job has been news it's been the f1 reporter role which is all about getting the news writing the news so i i hate to think how many articles i've written for autosport in the past three years like i'm gonna say it's probably into four figures like it's been it's been a a huge amount of work but i've i've loved it that that was the main beat and yeah over that time it's been a lot of like doing podcasts with yourself but doing been doing videos we've been doing lots of so stuff on social uh i've dabbled in long form features as well and it's kind of just been lovely to be part of an organization where you can do all of that basically you've got the full array of basically mediums to talk to fans and to, to to interact with them so yeah that but the main beat was news and it's uh it's it's been cool. Like, it's been a such a fascinating period of F1 to cover. Sports in better shape than ever. And it's been, uh, yeah, really, really cool to be following that. Where's my book? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I have it here. The Story of Porsche, a tribute to the legendary manufacturer. Luke has even had time in all of that to write uh, a brilliant book. If so, if you, uh, if you love... Uh, the story of Porsche and the and the history of that brand. Just any kind of any. Uh, there's a, in the same series. There's Ferrari and Harley and Mini and stuff. All these amazing brands that have wonderful kind of people going through and stories and uh, all of these things. And so uh, so yeah. And then end, ending up in a in a electric future for so many of them. So there. And you can even go on Amazon. And and so in between all of that, Luke's managed to publish a book, which is of course. Of course you had time to do that. Uh, so go and check that out on Amazon if, like me, you want to buy a copy. Well, obviously, we're really sad that you're not going to be doing these shows, but because we know what you're going on to, it's so brilliant. So we're all really excited to see you start that. I shall not say any more about where you're going. But it's not to go join Matt and Tommy, which is what everyone thought when Jess left uh, to go <laughs> yeah, to Sky Sports. Yeah, it was funny Sports. that timing, like, wasn't it? Oh, my it? goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, she's going to go rejoin the boys from WTF1. It's like, no, she's going to Sky Sports F1, uh, which is where Jess is, if, if ever anyone had missed that piece of news. Anyway, you can follow Luke on his socials, and I'm sure he'll announce uh, where he's off to soon. Let's get into the topic of today's podcast. So we're going to analyse all 10 cars not so much the launches because the launches the launch of the launches um but in terms of the cars and just have a look through what we ended up talking um, uh, talking about so we'll start off at, we're going to in, in chronological order but we but we may not dwell on too many of them we started off with Haas we were all desperate to talk about formula 1 again this year so it got a lot of coverage because it was first Haas so they have a stronger upgrade push in 2023. Our colleague Matt Summerfield wrote about the detail changes that should stand out after it had a shakedown run at Silverstone. Um, it ran for the first time, and so we got to see it. There was sort of a, a couple of days where lots of stuff happened all at once, and they were putting on Hulkenberg selfies of him at the factory, and, and we got to see more. But apart from that, it began as a livery launch. We got to find out more as the car went on. How do you feel about Haas's start to the season? Yeah, it's been it's been. Inc- encouraging I think I think that with Haas like every 
every year they kind of it's a roller coaster like every season's a bit different for them there's always something that seems to happen but I think it feels like they're going into this year in the strongest shape they've been for some time they've got two very experienced drivers in Kevin Magnussen and Nico Hulkenberg Hulkenberg coming in to replace Mick Schumacher he's not been in F1 for four years but he's got that experience he knows he knows what he's doing is a very safe pair of hands so I think together that's what Haas needs they've got a big new title sponsor in MoneyGram that's again a big boost of financial um, stability they announced uh, uh, Chipotle the uh, Mexican uh, burrito and, and taco brand as a uh, um, I don't know if that's the right way to word it but it's uh, it's, yeah. it's that kind of stuff that they serve uh, but it's very very tasty and that that's a new partner for Haas as well now so clearly there is sort of a bit of momentum building with the team there so that that's really really good they've done a first shakedown at Silverstone and I think for them ultimately this year is just about trying to make a bit of another step forward last year was such a, a weird roller coaster from K-Mag finishing fifth in Bahrain to them struggling to get out of Q1 at races to then getting pole position in Brazil and it's uh, it was really sort of really up and down and I think what mm. they want is just a bit of consistency this year to even out those slopes um, yeah make sure they have a bit more of a, uh, I guess an even keel to the season but um, but yeah I think for Haas with them it's always a bit strange and sort of odd to know where exactly they're going to be I think Really, they've just got to look at building on last year. If they can take another step towards that sort of top of midfield, I think they'll they'll be in good shape. But um, but yeah, I think the changes they've made, with all respect to Mick Schumacher, I think it's been for the. I think it's been a decision that will help them in the long run, and I think that's what they're looking at. It's the long term future. It's for the budget caps yeah. to really kick in, even out the playing fields, and for them to be in even better shape. Last night, I saw a new trailer drop for netflix drive to survive i think that's the 24th i didn't make a note of it so uh, it is yeah yeah i've, I've actually week. watched the first episode it's very very oh, good you've seen it amazing yeah. uh, and in, in the new trailer last night they have got a clip of gunter and he is swearing so you'll be happy fans of sweary gunter let's talk about red bull next because then came red bull livery launch the actual launch itself was a lot about the Ford partnership as well christian horner said that they face a significant handicap with the f1 testing aero restrictions. Our colleague Matt Q wrote a plus piece about what recent F1 history reveals about the chances of Red Bull being caught in 2023. You know, once you're ahead, it's it's so hard to catch up for the others. Red Bull, Ford will not get a new full uh, new F1 engine supplier status when the Ford logo arrives in 2026. And Red Bull revealed afterwards that a new Honda deal was too complicated. That was the phrase. Despite talks. Sergio Perez said that he pushed for a certain direction on the car. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he did, but let's not pretend that that team doesn't have one number one. So what did you make of Red Bull's car? Well, we've not seen it yet. It was the it was the show car that they put in the the new livery, and I think that's something that we'll get onto with the other launches. Who did show us the the actual car itself? So, uh, yeah, it was a very impressive launch that Red Bull did in New York, and obviously the Ford partnership being announced and everything like that was a a big big statement for them to make. I think, and to do it in New York, getting points to the mass American growth there is at the moment. But again, we've not, and it's it's what Red Bull do every year. That's the thing; they never go here's the actual car. It's always a show car of some sort. In an updated livery and that's that's well within their rights they want to keep their cards close to their chest and that's fine we won't know anything really about that car until it hits the track on um, on the first day of pre-season testing but I think that for Red Bull yeah as you say once you get out front it's so hard 
the other teams to catch up. The aero testing restriction is going to bite at some point this year. That's that's a guarantee. And I think that you're looking at Ferrari and Mercedes to say, can they capitalise? But you've also got to bear in mind that Red Bull, towards the end of last year, did a lot of work that they said, no, let's just wait for the 23 car before we introduce that. So I think there was still a bit in hand, really, that they that they can put on this car. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've got a target on their back. That's what comes with being the reigning champions. It's going to be hard to beat them this year. Max Verstappen remains at the absolute top of his game. And, uh, yeah, I'm just really interested to see what that car looks like when we actually get to see it, because uh, so far it's um, it, we, we don't know for sure. But I think weight saving, that's going to be a big story with them, as with every team. It was a big issue for Red Bull in the early part of last year. If they can get to that weight limit this year, they're going to be in really, really good shape. Our colleague Alex Kalanorkis, our Grand Prix editor, thinks that the aero restrictions won't even properly bite until the 24 car. What's your thoughts on when they'll start to be impacted by those restrictions because of the cost cap overrun? Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's fair. I think it will be that they're obviously going to be more limited in terms of what development they can do on the the, the 23 because it started in it was a 12 month penalty this came in for starting as of what October last year. So, it's until October 23 that that's in place so obviously that does cover a lot of the initial development for the 2024 car and it is really just about how you use it basically you've got a limited number of wind tunnel runs you've got to be smart with what you do and don't be wasteful or anything like that and I think it's definitely an impact but talking to people from various teams a lot of them say actually it's not going to have a like a completely massive effect on the team as uh, I think Christian Horner maybe made it sound like it was actually going to be so it's um, it's a funny one but yeah I'd be inclined to agree with Alex but it'll be the 24 car where we really see like how much has it actually hurt them and whether they're able to spool things back up in time to, to get that okay but um, yeah I think for now you still look at them as being favourites for the season to come Last year of course Mercedes even duped us at the first test this year there's one one pre-season test so can you explain well even predict what you think we might see because you know we didn't even see the zero side pods concept until the second test with with Mercedes, but we're talking about Red Bull. But like I say, one test in Bahrain before we go racing. So how much do you think will be revealed at testing? I think that teams don't really have any time to waste. That's the difference this time around. Like last year, as you said, there was that first test in Barcelona where a lot of teams maybe just did a, an initial spec, came to Bahrain, put a load of upgrades on the car, made a lot of changes, the most notable being Mercedes. But this year, they've got one test of three days and then they've only got, what, a four or five day turnaround until first practice for the Bahrain Grand Prix. So it's a very short window and they've got a lot that they need to get into that time. So really, there's not really any time to waste. I don't think you can be affording to play chicken, basically, and say, oh, no, we're going to wait until we put something on. Uh, I know a lot of teams are planning to bring upgrades compared to what they've run in Shakedown. Uh, Alpine, they've got a first race upgrade ready to go, which is a really good statement for them to make. But um, yeah, I think that if you're Red Bull, yeah, there's, there's not going to be any time to waste. So they look, they've done a shakedown with the car, so they'll have an initial reading of it. But when you get to testing, you can't be messing around saying like, oh, no, we're going to wait. Like You've just got to go all in, get ready and get really primed for that opening race. And so what is the, in terms of testing and turnaround, so obviously, you know, Bahrain is, or the testing's next weekend, then Bahrain's um, quickly followed by Saudi and then Australia and then Azerbaijan and then Miami. So in terms of what we call the flyaway races, I'm, I'm down in Poole, which is a port. And so occasionally I'll see two or three of the big, shiny, gorgeous Formula One trucks because they'll be getting on a you know ferry to go somewhere, which if you're testing in Barcelona and you come across a problem, then I guess it's, it's a reasonable solution to get those 
parts in the you know the CAD software overnight, get some parts made. You can either either a, a private plane to a European test track or you can drive it down, I suppose. But if any of the teams turn up in Bahrain next week and have got significant issues, will they be able to get a fix in place before the first race? The difference is that this year the cars, because it's an evolution on the regulations, not a revolution as it was in 22, I think it's quite unlikely that any of the teams will be in such a, a big sort of hole like that. But yeah, it is very true. It is, And it's one of the factors a couple of years back when we were debating about should we keep testing in Barcelona or should we just stick to Bahrain? Ultimately, Bahrain, yeah, you've got stable running conditions. You know it's going to be hot and sunny, which is good. But it is a thing of something goes wrong, your a flight is five and a half hours back to the UK as opposed to yeah doing an overnighter in a a, a, um, a sprint van or something to get it down to Barcelona or just a couple of hours on a flight so it's definitely something for them to bear in mind it's definitely an extra challenge but I think all of the teams by now they they know they know these this is how it works like I think they're all in good enough shape that it, uh, yeah shouldn't be too much of an issue next we talk about Williams and as an evolution despite key differences they say of the existing Formula 1 car exactly like you just said they said the loss of you wrote a piece about the loss of Latifi's F1 sponsorship not being as big as some suggested James Vowles is the incoming boss of Williams and he has a big job ahead of him to turn around uh, is a, a a storied team and plenty of people that have been there a very long time and will be used to doing things a certain way. So he has a uh, a big job. And our colleague Matt Summerfield wrote a tech piece on how Williams FW45 drew inspiration from the front runners. And if you are at the back, then that does make perfect sense. What did you think of what you saw from Williams? Yeah, I think for them, again, it's just about trying to continue this revival really like last year was was tough for them again falling to the to the back of the grid four time in five years they finished last in the constructors championship there's been a lot of change over the winter James Vowles coming in as you say Jos Capito is out but they um I think they know that these are necessary changes and in James Vowles they've got an absolutely phenomenal signing I think he's been an integral part of Mercedes leadership throughout their domination of Formula One so I think that he's going to be a really really good asset he starts on on Monday uh, as team principal and I think that for Williams this year yeah they've got to look at just trying to properly get back into that midfield fight because last year it was kind of like you had okay your your big three at the front then it was say McLaren Alpine they were sort of leading the midfield most of the time then there's a gaggle of teams behind and every now and then Williams would absolutely excel you'd see Alex Albon in Australia or, or um, Miami uh, Imola as well he put in a really good performance and they would be able to basically get in front and just keep the cars behind this year they need to try and do that more regularly it needs to be that on merit they are there like that yeah not not to say they weren't on merit last year but they just needed to be more that that we've we've actually got ourselves into the position on pure pace alone it's not through a funky strategy or rolling the dice or anything like that so that's the goal for them i think that yeah logan Sargent, new new driver coming in i think that as with any rookie we're going to see that sort of that uh quite steep trajectory in terms of needing to get up to speed but Alex Albon he's into what his fourth fifth season F1 now he's a very safe pair of hands I think is in a better sort of headspace better um, better groove than ever which is really really cool to see and I think he can really help lead Williams through this year and then the following day Alfa Romeo showed off their car which they said the C43 will be more of an all-rounder which is interesting. Uh, they uh, We had a piece from our colleague Adam Cooper on why Audi's distant future in Formula One is helping 
Alfa Romeo, which was interesting. You can go check it out online. Then the car hits the track for a shakedown in Barcelona with a totally different floor. Uh, Giorgio Piola had some thoughts on that, whether it was a launch red herring or a design dead end. What did you think of what you saw from Alfa Romeo? Yeah, it was it was interesting because when they did that initial launch, a lot of people said, "Oh, that floor looks yeah very very aggressive." And then it came to the actual shakedown itself, and it wasn't there anymore. So again, it shows the difference between what you see at a launch and what you actually see on the track. There is always that a little bit of disparity. But I think for Alpha, yeah, last year the big thing that hurt them was um, just the speed of upgrades. Basically, they weren't quick enough keeping up with the rest of the midfield in terms of bringing upgrades to their cars. And a lot of that is down to resources and facilities and stuff like that. And this is very much just a team that's um, sort of basically on, on the up again and, and recovering, I guess. So, that yeah, there's a lot for them to do. They're working hard, though. I think that last year their big benefit in the early part of the season was being pretty much the only team that had got down to the weight limit. This and as last season wore on, that obviously became less of an advantage. This year, yeah, they've really got to focus on getting those sort of getting rid of the big peaks and troughs that they had. Like you see the team go so many races at that point, and then all of a sudden, Bottas in, in Mexico was like only eight tenths off pole or something. And um, I asked Fred Vasseur about that sort of um, low period they had in the middle of the season. And he said, but if you look at the time when we were closest to pole, that was actually Mexico at the very end of the year. So it doesn't quite make sense in terms of where they were. Uh, It's a funny one. But uh, yeah, I think they just need a bit more consistency this year. I think last year, I'm right in saying they scored the fewest points of any team between Monza until the end of the season. So there is a lot for them to try and, I think, catch up on and try to recover. So they've... um, the Audi Works partnership coming into force, that's going to be a massive boost for the team. Already there's kind of a, a nice sort of um, electric feel uh, bubbling around the Alpha team, which is quite cool. It's their last season as Alpha as well before they uh, probably go back to the Sauber name for a couple of years. So, um, yeah, Andrea Seidlin is team boss as well, um, the CEO of the group, sorry. I think that's a fantastic signing. And I think that for the long term, they're in a really, really good spot. And I think I'm going to be one to watch. Maybe not this year, but in the long term future, definitely. Yeah, I'm re- I'm really interested to watch how that relationship evolves because Audi are coming in as a full manufacturer. But for now, they are an investor. They hold equity now. They are, their money is now going into the team. But of course, they're, they're running Ferrari bits. And of course, Audi at some point will be a full competitor to Audi. So there'll be a day when the owner of the team says, uh, oh, can we have a look at that drawing of the engine we're buying off you? And, and Ferrari go, no, you can't. But of course, the the answer is yes, because we're a customer. So they'll be learning an amount. And it's going to be, you know, how much of that will be relevant to Audi's program? It's politically really interesting, uh, I think, anyway. So we'll see how that uh, that goes. It was a bit of a low-key Alpha Tauri launch. Not necessarily for them, because they were in New York, but I'm saying for many of the European time zone followers. I think it was 11 p.m. UK, midnight, Central European livery launch in New York. Then we saw some renders of the AT04. They called it a strong evolution. Then I think they had a shakedown at Mizano, um, but I've not seen the pictures from that. So just a, a quick word on Alpha Tauri uh, and what you thought of, of that. Yeah, as you say, it was quite a quite a low key launch. To be honest, I was um, uh, I was with some friends. Um, I didn't cover the launch itself. I had a half marathon the next day, so I was uh, yeah just watching it with uh, with some friends who were were covering it, other journalists. And um, yeah, it was about two minutes. The whole sort of like unveiling video on YouTube. It was quite uh, quite short and sweet. But um, like their drivers this year, Nick DeVries and uh, Yuki Soda, probably the shortest F one driver lineup uh, in the in the history of the sport. I would go as far as saying. But uh, yeah, I think. Again, with AlphaTauri, it's, it's 
they just need to try and like make this step forward again. And every year we hear about this target of all breaking into the top five and everything. And um, last year was a pretty tough season for them. I think they got some, admit they got some things wrong in terms of their wind tunnel sort of plans and stuff in the, uh, in the development of the car. So I think they've probably learned a lot from that. I think for this year, they're getting used to using the, the bigger 60% wind tunnel now as well. So that's always going to work in their favour, I think. But uh, yeah, the driver lineup, Yuki Tsunoda, his third season, he needs to step up. He needs to, I think really be the team leader there. And then in Nick DeVries, I think they've got a fantastic driver. I think he's shown what he can do in F2 and Formula E and sports cars. And now he's finally got his chance in F1. So I think he's going to be on it from very, very early days. But um, yeah, again, one of those launches where you're kind of left with probably more questions than answers. But maybe that's how, how teams want it to be, to keep us guessing until the opening race. We're halfway and then we get into this week. Frantic, really. McLaren, Aston, Ferrari, Mercedes, Alpine. First of all, we shipped you up to Woking and you saw McLaren, who revealed they weren't entirely happy with the launch spec car. Uh, This year, uh, McLaren said they might be building, despite uh, the Red Bull hints that were seen on the car, uh, wrote our colleague Jake Boxall-Leg. Why Piastri being constantly a little bit unhappy was seen as a, a positive. And I guess you can turn that around because he, he just wants to improve. And uh, But he wasn't over the moon. Norris was, uh, I would say, you know, within himself. He wasn't, you know, exuberant at the launch, but he was happy to wait a few more years for McLaren to come good. So, yeah, a few, des- a few design clues from Red Bull on the McLaren. They've definitely got a long-term focus, uh, but you were there. So what was that launch like and what do you think of the car that they unveiled? Yeah, it's definitely about the long-term and Lando Norris, he said throughout all his answers that he's really thinking he's got to be patient. He knows that he's not going to be fighting for race wins or championships with McLaren this year or maybe next year, but they're getting things in place now. Like they're, they're cash flow positive now, which is something that McLaren wasn't for uh, a while. They can now look at things like, yeah, their wind tunnel is going to be online in 2024. And I think the 2025 car is going to be the first one that really feels the full benefit of all of the steps that McLaren has been putting in place to improve its facilities and everything like that. So I think that it's going to it's gonna come in time, but it's just about how how long you're willing to sort of bide your time and be patient, for like someone like Lando Norris. Um, Oscar Piastri, a fantastic young driver. They've obviously done well to get their man. So I think that's, that's going to be exciting to see how he gets on. His junior CV is, is phenomenal. It really, really is. But I think that it was interesting, Andreas Stella saying they weren't entirely happy with how the car was. And I think it's... Um, maybe downplaying expectations a little bit. And that's, it's not always the most encouraging sign going into a new season. I think particularly when you see how close that midfield is, how tight the fight was with Alpine last year for P4, the fact that Aston Martin are on the rise as well. I think it's, um, it's a real interesting season ahead for McLaren. I think that sort of fourth, fifth, sixth battle is going to be really, really close. But yeah, the early sort of noises at McLaren maybe haven't been the most positive, but ultimately we'll only know once they get on track and whether they can, um, yeah, maybe improve a bit of the development slope that they last year fell a little bit behind on uh, compared to Alpine in particular. Okay, well, we'll watch them. And then we shipped you up from Woking to Silverstone uh, to see the launch of Aston Martin. Aggressive was the word they used a lot in terms of their car design. Fernando Alonso told you he expects difficult races to start the year. And then we got some news after the event as well that longtime tech boss 
uh, had been moved on. Andy Green moving moving away from the racing side. He's not been moved out of the company. Just just a change of roles uh, by the look of it. But just I think they're you know finessing how they go racing at the weekends um, with some new people coming into the team as well. What were your thoughts on on what you saw and the task ahead of Aston Martin? Pretty positive launch, I must say. I think that with Aston Martin, Lawrence Stroll is putting everything behind this. He really, really is. And he said on stage, he said, when I uh, when I get excited about something, I'm passionate about something. When I'm passionate about something, I win. And he was very, very clear that he's doing this to, to win. He's not doing this to make up the numbers. He wants to build, in his words, one of the great Formula One teams. They're building a new $200 million state-of-the-art factory. It's very, very impressive. They did the launch um, from the inside of there. It's still not fully built, but it's going to be yeah, a very, very, very cool um, structure and factory once it's finished. And then Fernando Alonso, the big name signing, the big bombshell of the driver market last year, him going there. He made clear that this year is really all about setting a good baseline for the future. And he said that if I'm not here in the in five years' time, but Aston Martin is fighting for race wins and championships, then I'll be proud that I've played a part in that. And um, he said that he's very demanding. He wants 100% from everyone around him. And Aston Martin said that actually they really like that. They want that. And I think that's what they need right now. They need someone like Alonso to come in and say to them that this is wrong, this is right, we need to do this better. And I think he can be a really, really good asset for them and help their development forward. But the, the sort of whispers about Aston Martin, they've been pretty positive for this year, I must say. I think it's uh, exciting to see the direction they've gone in with that car. And I think that, yeah, if we look at what they might be able to achieve um, this year, they're not going to be fighting for race wins and championships this year. We know that. But Alonso said that it's about getting a good baseline for the future. And I think that this could really be the first year we see Aston Martin under its new sort of guise and brand take a big step forward and not necessarily to the top three, but get in that front of the midfield fight. Well, there are still two more teams in the top three we haven't talked about. Let's get on to that. It was a brilliant launch. I loved it so much for Ferrari because they put the car on track. They did it at uh, Fiorano near Marinello and they built a grandstand for the fans who were chanting the names of the drivers. The drivers were in their race suits. The engineers were there firing up the car. And that, you know, when you get oily bits involved at a car launch, it's always good. I spoke to our colleague, Roberto Kinkaro, for the uh, the podcast and the YouTube video of that. He said that they will be making adjustments. New boss, Frederick Vasseur, making adjustments to the F1 strategy process uh, on the pit wall, but no one's losing their job overnight. The big thing that was noticed was the front wing and a design that Mercedes chose not to run last year in Austin, but a cleverly shaped front wing with slot gap uh, separators coming back because of a change of the rules announced last December where a a phrase a sentence was removed really about what those can do and uh, some big suspension changes as well Ferrari focused on the car balance weaknesses with the SF23 car Uh, science said that Ferrari were brave to run the car at a public launch event and even though these are evolutions on last year's car, yes, Ferrari know how to build an engine. Hopefully it wouldn't break down halfway through. Even some rumours I heard that, that the Mercedes shake down the, the, the first installation lap they did, uh, they just had to slow it down, bring it back and just fix a quick thing. Like that, it would have been embarrassing if the car had gone up in, in smoke. It didn't. It was brilliant. Uh, what did you make of the Ferrari that you saw? A really bold, I think, aero package that they put on it for a launch car. And it was running as well. So what did you make of that? It was very impressive, yeah. And as you say, very bold to just say, look, we're going to get out there and do the shakedown pretty much in front of the the watching world, in front of the cameras, in front of the fans, and for it to go so smoothly. The 
for me, I loved that the launch just encapsulated everything that makes Ferrari so special and unique in Formula One. It was the Tifosi fans at the absolute heart of everything they did. It was wonderful to see them cheering for Leclerc and Carlos Sainz. Sainz even mentioned Antipasti at one point and the crowd went absolutely wild for the idea of dipping bread in oil, which I absolutely loved. But it's, um, it, it was great that I think Ferrari, yeah, they, they came out of the blocks really, really strongly. And again, there was sort of a, a feeling of quiet confidence, I think, about everything they did that they were able to say look we're going to put this car on track for you all to see run it straight away and that was really really cool so um yeah i think ferrari can be really really pleased with everything they did we're only going to see i think come the opening race just what these small adjustments that fred Vassero has talked about on the sort of strategy team and the processes what they actually entail and what does actually change for this year but i think that yeah for for ferrari this year they've they just got to learn from last year. They've got to take that fight properly to Red Bull this season. I think they're they're I think they're the team probably in the strongest shape to actually do that. Following this um uh, this sort of winter period, we'll see in testing how things stack up. But um yeah, they've got the drivers. They've I think they've got the right team boss. I think they had the right, a good team boss anyway. But I think Fred Vasser could be uh, really really good for them as well. And uh, yeah, I think now it's just about putting all the puzzle pieces together to mount a sustained title challenge throughout the season and get on top of the reliability issues that blighted the engine last year, the tire management issues, and probably mount mount a serious charge for the championship. Yeah, what's this story about the engine on the dyno proving that it's more reliable? has nailed those gremlins because they had to turn the combustion bit down from it's been Mexico was particularly affected as well last year and towards the end of the season. So what's the story there? Yeah, it's just that they couldn't run the engine in full power, basically, which is obviously a rather major uh, issue to have when you're trying to probably take the fight to Red Bull. And uh, that meant they sort of overcompensated in terms of the drivers pushing a bit too hard and that led to the tyre management issues. And so it's all kind of a, a knock-on effect, really. But they, yeah, the Ferrari say that they've done some good running on the dyno. They've got rid of those gremlins. All the power units are frozen for performance, but you are allowed to make reliability changes. So that's why they've been able to make those tweaks for this year. And uh, yeah, they're they're seemingly quite confident about what position they've got that engine into. So I think it'd be important for Ferrari. Yeah, if they can, again, just have the car able to run full power, not worry about the tyres so much, and they'll be in much better shape. And there's, there's also restrictions on software coming in now, as well as engine development. But again, the teams can change it based on reliability. And this is where some of the friction comes up as well, where a team will make an improvement and go, well, it was because of reliability, but they've also got performance gains through that. But that's a legitimate fix, right? So teams can still work on things. Yeah, they can. Yeah, again, so long as it's reliability, then that's fine. And ultimately, if by improving the engine reliability you can run it at full power that gives you therefore more performance that that's fine that's not directly impacting the actual performance of of a power unit so uh yeah there's little yeah. things they can do basically <laughs> but uh, i think for ferrari they're uh, gonna be hopefully in good shape to give a proper hopefully a three-team title fight going into the new season let's get on to that mercedes unveiled their w14 back in black for various reasons toto wolf said on stage that it was a weight saving and also going back to the heritage of stripping the paint off of the silver arrows. But also there is from Lewis Hamilton's very high profile campaign around inclusivity, that aspect of it as well. But Toto mainly attributed to to weight saving. They haven't thrown away their concept for the old car. In fact, the overhead shots at the launch reminded me how skinny that car is. Some changes to the floor as well. And Mercedes... Uh, say they've got some side pod revamps coming as a Jonathan Noble article, which we put out a couple of days ago, uh, that that they'll be bringing some upgrades 
pretty early on in the season. And a lot of talk was about the livery, but what did we see underneath that? What was interesting about that car? Uh, yeah, I think there were some noticeable changes on the car already, particularly around the um, sort of uh, engine and gully area. I think that was that was quite interesting, the direction they've gone in. But the big thing was, yeah, that they've kept that zero pod side pod concept we saw last year that I think everyone expected to be changing. And uh, we know that, yeah, there may be some tweaks to come, uh, as you said, from John's article in the opening few races. But they, um, yeah, it was it was interesting that that kind of core DNA that I think everyone expected to be completely done away with and the suggestions from Mercedes were they were going to go down a different direction uh, are still there. And they explained it saying they wanted to keep the good bits of the W13. It wasn't all bad, the car. But Lewis Hamilton, he said that basically, he, yeah, there was a lot that needed to change from the very back to the very front of the car so it's uh it's a, an interesting situation for mercedes i think that they know last year was i think a very sobering season it was a very tough season for them and i think this year they really do need to strike back and and make a big big step forward so they can get back in that title fight the trajectory they went on towards the back end of last year was very encouraging for definite but over the winter yeah ferrari and red bull they won't have been sleeping so it's gonna definitely be um i think big challenge for Mercedes to, to keep up and to be able to sort of bridge that gap but um, but they know how to do it they've won championships they're a, a very slick operation so I think if anyone is capable of that it is Mercedes but um, yeah it was very interesting that whereas last year was quite bullish the sort of mood from like Lewis Hamilton particularly after the Abu Dhabi fiasco saying that yeah I want to come back stronger and there we're going all out this year he said that yeah he said we're, we're being cautious a bit cautiously optimistic about our chances and it was uh, maybe a little bit more understated than it's that's been in previous years from Mercedes yeah Autosport asked George Russell about you know you're bringing side pod revisions already early on in the season which was spun initially as a positive piece of news but if you're doing that already how confident really are you in in your concept and are the wind tunnel numbers coming through and you know he, again he didn't just brush it away he said it was it's a long season and we've got time to recover if we don't start strong so a, a bit like mclaren everyone seems to be tempering expectations but if at this stage the drivers are already saying well you know there's gaps between races which allow us to bring upgrades goodness me for mercedes fans that doesn't sound good. Are you? Where do you? How do you feel about that? It's it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you again, is it smoke and mirrors? Do you want to be sort of like keeping your cars close to your chest? How do you want to play it? So it is very very tricky. But I think that. I think for Mercedes, yeah, the mood is, it does feel a little bit different to how it's been in previous years. But again, we've not seen Mercedes in this situation really before for a very long time because they've been always the front running team. They've always been one of the two quickest teams. Last year, they were firmly third quickest. And now they're in this position, well, okay, but how do we fight back? Like, how do we actually get back into proper contention? I think that that's why, yeah, there's, probably been a bit of caution just about how they're going about things so far uh, over this winter we're only going to know for sure obviously at that opening race but um yeah even even from the shakedown and stuff like that it's it's there's not been sort of like a um a, a big statement out of what they're doing but maybe that's for good reason maybe it's because they want to keep everything so close to their chest so uh let's let's see until testing and the opening race where mercedes actually is but it's um definitely been a case of managing expectations so far i think Last night was Alpine. It's the most recent. So people probably got that on their mind already. We saw two cars, a pink one, which wasn't the car, and the Alpine blue, which was a 
last year's car, probably, uh, bits of this car, uh, maybe. But again, it was more of a show, kind of, a, it felt like a corporate commercial thing last night, talking about the race, her programme, which is amazing, young women in motorsport and girls in karting. And, and actually, you know, some good stuff on the stage as well with the cars, but uh, I guess we'll find out more when it hits the track, which it already kind of did do earlier this week. So <laughs> there's those spice shots. What do you think of Alpine very quickly? Yeah, they um, they said they did a, a really good shakedown. They admitted that, uh, last year, Lauren Rossi said in uh, in Abu Dhabi they were a shambles in preseason, and uh, Esteban Ocon said last night that they feel so much more race ready this year than they did last year. He said the car is so much more developed; it seems so much of a step forward. So I think it was a pretty upbeat mood from Alpine. They've got obviously Ocon and Pierre Gasly now as their driver lineup. There was the inevitable question about, oh, like you guys, are you going to get on? And uh, Gasly, I won't say exactly what he said back because I, I can't. But he um, he. It was words up to the effects of "I've not seen you for three months," and that's the first question you asked me, really. And uh, it was uh, quite quite funny. But they um, no, they they're they're in a good a good spot, I think. Again, they had their engine reliability issues last year. The water pump was uh, very problematic for them. They've done a lot of work to fix that. Again, they're pretty confident about the the running on the dyno that they've done. They've got, I think, a really exciting driver lineup. Two very good drivers there with Ocon and Gasly. I think it'll be very well balanced. And uh, yeah, I think that for Alpine, it was it was an evening where a lot of it was about, as you said, the race her program, which is fantastic. It was about Zinedine Zidane becoming their new ambassador. But underneath all of that I think that really the car does sound um, it does sound like they're in a good point particularly compared to this time last year so I think if they can start the season stronger that'll put them in a really good spot when it comes to that uh, fight to be topping the midfield Well that's our look back at launch season we haven't got to wait now long until Bahrain testing is here you'll be jumping on a plane and uh, and sadly we won't uh, be hearing from you on this podcast but fans of what you do will still be able to follow you i can say no more thank you very much for listening to the podcast today remind anyone who's listening that doesn't follow how people can follow you personally on on your socials uh yeah i'm at luke smith f1 on pretty much everything your your twitters your instagram your, i even do tiktok now i don't do it very well or very frequently but um yeah that's uh, that's where you can keep up with me and uh yeah i i guess just finally to just say again thank you ever so much to to everybody to everyone at autosport you've all been absolutely amazing friends and colleagues and i'm gonna miss you all so 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 much um to all the podcast listeners thank you so much for uh yeah listening to my my thoughts and ramblings over the past (laughs) three years and uh yeah i'm i'm really excited for the next chapter i'm gonna keep bringing people fantastic coverage from the paddock i i I hope it's still fantastic coverage obviously but i'm uh, i'm gonna be there it's uh yeah it's gonna be a different uh a a different set of colors for me so to speak but i'm uh i'm excited for it but also sport has said it's unmatched by anything else in motorsport media and i'm just so excited to see what all of you guys go on to do and uh, yeah we're still going to be seeing lots of each other i know uh, our paths are going to keep crossing so uh yeah i'm really excited to see what's next for autosport but uh, yeah from the bottom <laughs> of my heart thank you so much <laughs> <laughs> I've got to go. Uh, very sad, but also very happy. Uh, Look, thank you so much. That is your podcast for today. You can get in contact with us uh, uh, via social media. You can email me as well if you want to. We have podcast at autosport.com with your thoughts on the season already or emails, your questions for our team as well if you want to. That's podcast at autosport.com. Have a good one. And we'll see you on the next one. Podcast Network.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 